Welcome to the Growth Circle Podcast. Discussing topics of personal growth, gathering stories of individuals embarked on the path to success, and most importantly, providing a platform for individuals that want to learn and grow. And now, here are your hosts, Jake Ingledew and John Mitchell. Do you have a property that is in rough condition, has tenant issues, or a project that never got finished? Then you need to contact Homelink Properties. This Springfield, Missouri-based company will give you a fair cash offer on your property, completely as is, the same day you reach out. If you're an investor, Homelink Properties can also put your house in front of hundreds of cash buyers so that you too can quickly sell your property. Give them a call today, 417-295-0723. All right, Mark Wilmore, thanks for coming on to the Growth Circle Podcast. We're glad to have you, dude. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. So we wanted to start off by you kind of telling us a little bit about uh, where where you're at in life right now, what you got going on. Yeah, I'm 24 years old from Idaho, born and raised. So grew up on a farm working, you know, that's kind of all I knew. And then my, a lot of my family got into the medical field. And then that's kind of what I wanted to do is I want to be a pediatric dentist for a long time. And then I got introduced to summer sales or door-to-door sales about four years ago. And it's kind of been my path ever since I dropped out of school and <laughs> didn't end up finishing college and just kind of took this as a career path. And now I'm a divisional manager at Aptive Environmental and own some real estate. So it's kind of where I'm at right now. Cool. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about the door-to-door world um, and what that entails. And then let's talk about like how you grew in Aptive. Yeah. Um, door-to-door is interesting. There's a lot of pros and cons to it. Obviously, it's not an easy job. It's not you know a sexy title. Um, sometimes I still feel awkward telling people like what I do for work. It's like, oh yeah, I knock doors. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting thing. I never, I didn't know anything about sales. I didn't know what a sales job looked like. I didn't know what a lot of the vocabulary was like commission pay, you know, nonverbals, paraverbal communication, body language. I didn't really know too much about sales, but that's the cool part about door-to-door sales is if you're with a good you know, a good manager and a good company, they can give you the training you need to succeed and they'll teach you how to sell. And that's kind of why I went out. I was like, well, I guess I can learn how to sell and what that would look like. And I ended up enjoying it. And my first year, I ended up doing over 250 accounts. And then the next year I started to recruit Um, at 250 accounts, you could become a manager. And so just reached out to my warm network and then, you know, people that I knew, cousins, family, uh, I served a LDS mission, so I reached out to some mission buddies and then built a team. We had 16 guys my second year, uh, and we went back to Houston, Texas, and we did 1.5 million in sales. Wow. And that's when I kind of figured out, like, okay, this could be a career. And I enjoy, I enjoyed managing way more than I enjoyed actually selling. Um, <laughs> but I didn't know how to manage. That was, in, that was another thing. <laughs> my second year, I learned a lot. Um, made a lot of mistakes and kind of learned from those mistakes. And I think the biggest thing I took away was culture. So the last two years, I've really just tried to, you know, engrave culture in my personal life and who I want to be and what I want to create. 
and that also, you know, who I want to work with and the people that I want to work with and creating a good environment for those that work for me. That's sweet. So, so your first summer you sold 250 counts, maybe you can share a little bit with how much you made, uh, that, that summer, and then talk about like what happened with that continual growth to where you are, where you are now and how many guys you've got working for you. Yeah. And so originally I wanted to make 15 grand my first summer. I was like, if I can make 15 grand, that'll cover my school, you know, hopefully get down payment on a car or a truck, pay for some dates later on. Um, I was single at the time. I ended up making around 40,000 my first summer. So it really opened my eyes like, okay, there's actually money to be made <laughs> uh, in this job. And then that second summer, um, I owned a detailing business at the same time. So I detailed a lot of cars. Um, for my second or for my first summer to my second summer, um, just to kind of keep that cash flow steady. Um, I didn't want to deplete the bank account. So I was going to school, detailing cars, recruiting, and I just felt like I wasn't making much progress in either of those, like all uh -huh. three of them, like school, I wasn't doing well, just found myself on Quizlet or Course Hero, just trying to get through <laughs> classes. Hey, I've been there. So I was dude. like, well, yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is, why am I? why am I paying to go to school, you know, um, to just skim by and not learn anything. So drop that. Um, I eventually, um, hired some kids to run my detailing business. And then I just focused a little bit more on recruiting. And then that second year, um, ended up almost, I doubled my income more than doubled my income my second year. And I was able to clear six figures my second summer. And that's when I was like, okay, I can make money in this job. That that's sweet. So you had like 16, you said 16 guys that second summer and you yeah. made six figures in a summer period. So you, you yeah. just so for our audience to know, like for door to door sales, when do you typically start and when do you typically end? Yeah. Um, that's the cool part. A lot of our audience is catered to college kids, um, or people that want to get ahead in life or maybe college isn't for them. So our normal season dates start from May 1st and they go until August 31st. I usually go out April 15th and then I go home first week of September. How do you, how do you go about finding the guys that you're recruiting? Um, is that, do you knock doors and find guys doing that or? Um, some people do. Some people will go to colleges, they'll knock apartment doors, they'll shoulder tap, um, like go around campuses and tap them on the shoulder and say, Hey, what are you <laughs> doing next summer? Um, that's not usually my style. Um, I like to work through, the people that I work with and people that I know. Um, so I go a lot of referral base, but I also try and be as genuine as I can. I hate being recruited and I hate, everyone hates that feeling of being recruited. Right. So I always just try and be their friend first and I'm never, you know, too pushy. I'm like, and most of the time they ask me questions. Like I take them to lunch, you know, I drive a nice truck. So they're like, Oh, you know, what do you do for work or how much do you make? <laughs> um, I pay for their lunch. And so it kind of creates that interest, like, okay, this guy has money and he cares about me. So how do I make money and help other people? It's kind of been my approach is just been able to, you know, provide an opportunity for somebody because I feel like this opportunity was kind of given to me blindly and it's been a real big blessing in my life. So I just want to help others have a better, if not, you know, more lucrative summer than I've had. Right, right. So, so going back to like when you first were getting out of school and stuff, was sales pretty natural to you, or is that something? Is that something you had to learn? And then, if you did have to learn that, how did you? I mean, how did you get so good at it? Yeah, my first summer, I memorized the pitch. I got prepared. I thought I was prepared for the summer. I got out there and I was shaking. I was nervous on the doors. Like I was just spitting words out that I didn't even know, and it was it was pretty bad. I got lucky my first day. 
I found this old man and I didn't even try and pitch him. I just, I was like, Hey, do you need any help? He's out watering his flowers. And he's like, yeah, can you pull my hose around? And I was like, hmm. sure. Pulled his hose around. Then he had a big ant pile. We were in uh, Houston. I was actually with Jake that summer and there's this big ant pile in his front driveway. And I was like, Oh, we actually, He's like, what are you doing out here? I was like, oh, we actually take care of these guys. And I kicked the ant pile <laughs> and it <laughs> opens up. And I was like, oh yeah, you, you got an active, you know, ant pile here. I didn't really know anything about bugs either. And he's like, oh, well, do you take uh, cash or check? And I was like, I have no idea. Let me call my manager. <laughs> um, called him. And I was like, we can't take cash. We can take a check. And, you know, he went inside, grabbed a check. And I was like, oh, that was actually pretty easy. Um, if I actually knew how to do that and actually, you know, I called my manager probably three or four times as I was filling out the agreement, filling out the contract, like just making sure I did my job. Right. And then the guy was sprayed within an hour and he was super happy. He was super stoked that we're, you know, we're taking care of his ants. And that kind of like flipped a switch in my mind of like, okay, sales isn't really convincing people to do something. It's creating a problem or helping solve problems for people. And that night I went and studied, trained, you know, actually learned how to fill out an agreement. And then the next day I sold four and then I sold six. And then I ended up, I ended up selling over 300 accounts uh, that year and servicing 250. So it really like <clears throat> changed my mindset and I enjoyed serving people in a way. So that money wasn't really like the drive. I also didn't know what, how much I was getting paid that first summer. <laughs> I just signed up <laughs> and like, I didn't know my commission pay. I just kind of went out there and, and worked. Well, and that's what I love about what you said, Mark, is because you, you said you love serving people. And it's funny because that first sale that you got, that's what it came out of is how can I bring value to this person? It wasn't like, I'm going to go in there and try to sell them, get what I want out of it. You went in there looking as at it as like, how can I bring this guy value? He's out here watering his flowers. Hey, do you need any help? Help him pull his hose around. And then next thing you know, yeah. you're getting a sell out of it. That's something that like when I was in door-to-door -door sales, like I couldn't quite tell people how to do like yeah, you can teach train. people. Yeah. It's hard to train. You can teach people to pitch and they can get good at the pitch, but being genuine and real and then just seeing how you can be like a blessing or add value to somebody else is like usually how you get the sale. Yeah, definitely. And that's what I tell all my guys is just, you know, be happy. If you're genuinely happy, you will sell pest control. Like it's not a very difficult sell. And if you can create that genuine happiness, then, you know, your sales levels will go up and people can yeah. feel that on the doors. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. So, so the second summer you got into the six figures, you had uh, 16 guys that you recruited um, and you put on, you said a little over a million in revenue. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And then, uh, then two, you had two more summers after that, correct? Yeah. So after that first summer, I kind of, I had a lot of guys either quit, didn't do super well, like, and they were studs and I thought they were going to do, I thought they were going to crush it. And maybe it wasn't all I took, I took full ownership and I just said, you know, their performance, their outcome was my fault. Um, mm -hmm. I could have been a better leader. I could have been a better manager. I could have been more motivating. I could have trained better. I could have prepared them for the summer. And, you know, at the end of the day, maybe they didn't work. Maybe they didn't have the best attitude, but that's, you know, that comes back to me. And I think yeah. that's really changed my mind of like, okay, I need a culture. Um, I didn't really have anybody to teach me how to be a team leader or how to lead a team. I just kind of went out there blindly. Like, let's, let's see how this goes. Yeah. Just to interject real quick. Have you read, um, extreme ownership by Jocko Willink? Um, I started it 
uh-huh. um, it wasn't um something i i vibed with too well um, oh, okay so i don't i don't do well with um high intensity stuff like david Goggins <laughs> extreme ownership yeah it's, it's just not my personality yeah yeah um, I- I love the book, uh, probably because of my military background too, but, uh, yeah, definitely. but he, he talks about the principle you're talking about is taking ownership and not pointing the finger outwards. Cause like you could have been like, dude, my sales guys suck. Like they're, they're, they don't learn good or, you know, whatever their sales skills suck. But then you like, were like, well, what did I do wrong? How could I improve? Yeah. Uh, I'm the one that let them down and you took ownership of that. So I think that's pretty cool. So how and did you go time about to build- see that? What's that? I said it took time to see that, like, yeah. at, like during the process, I was like, why aren't these guys working? You know, like, why do I, I feel like I have to micromanage them. I feel like to be their babysitter, like yeah. it just wasn't that fun. So um, how did you, you know, how did you bring culture into your team? Um, it was the little things, honestly, um, you know, simple things as I took out, we have morning meetings in an apartment. I took out the couches, no comfy chairs. I put all metal chairs so nobody could be sleeping, getting comfortable uh, in the morning meetings. Um, So I had more attention. So when I was actually training or helping the guys, it was more, you know, involvement and people were awake. And the second thing was everyone was dressed and ready for the day. Um, You know, they were uniform uniform on, they had their lanyard, they had their hat. They were ready to go knock doors uh, immediately after our meeting. And so that's one thing. Those are two things that I saw my first summer that I was like, you know, people were coming in their, you know, pajamas, <laughs> you know, they'd wake, they'd wake up, roll out of bed, go to the meeting. And, you know, some of them would sell well that day, like, and some of them wouldn't. And I didn't really think about that um, until after the summer, like, okay, what would help? And then some guys would go after the morning meeting, shower, get ready, you know, it's just so much time wasted uh, before they actually got to the door. And so I just kind of zoomed out and I said, what, would a good team look like, you know, and what would a championship team look like? And I started watching, you know, just, you know, sports movies and you watch any championship team, you know, they're a brotherhood, they work together, they're clean cut, they follow the rules. Uh, John Wooden's a good example of this, a uh, famous basketball coach. He was super strict on his guys, you know, taught him the pyramid of success. I wasn't that extreme, um, but I just, made it so there's a strict schedule there are strict rules i followed the six core values at active and i accredit a lot of my success that summer to those six core values um because it helps guys become self-manageable when they know what are those six core values yeah the first one i'll pull them up so i don't get in trouble um the first one is deliver the wow and that's just setting proper expectations as a sales rep you know People can say whatever they want on the doors, but, you know, setting a proper expectation with the customer and always trying to exceed those expectations. And I took that personally. And to my guys, they said, I'm always going to try and set proper expectations for you. And I'm always trying to exceed those expectations, whether it's pay training, you know, just helping you out. Like I'm, I'm here to be your friend as well. Um, I expect the same thing too. Like if you tell me you're going to do something, you're going to do it. Um, So that way we can build the trust. Second one is sharpen the saw. And just always getting better, always training, always improving. That's why I really like uh, where I'm at is because we're, it's always innovative. You know, we're always trying to get better. Um, third one is true north. Honesty and transparency is always, you know, key to successful business. But I also add communication. Um, communication is huge. And that's something that I didn't think I had with my guys. You know, when a guy wasn't working, I didn't know it. 
unless I was stalking him or watching his knocks or, you know, I pulled up in his area and he's sitting on a park bench. Right. And then I'd be like, what's going on, man? Like, why aren't you working? Um, and I was like, I want that communication when somebody doesn't feel like working, when somebody doesn't feel like doing the job, like, tell me, be honest with me, because most of the time we can work through it to, you know, move that needle to get them moving again. And then the last three are being grateful, elevate the tribe and all in. Um, being grateful has got me through the last four summers. Um, this job is hard. <laughs> yeah. We had a great sales year this year and it was still one of the toughest years we've ever had. Um, you know, it's just mentally tough and challenging and um, elevating the tribe. As the years go on, I get more and more picky on who I hire and who I want to work with and, you know, el- you know, cultivating that culture to make sure they're a good fit. And then being all in, I think this goes for anybody. If you're going to do something, commit hundred percent, don't have a plan B because if you've got a plan B, you're always going to fail. And um, because you don't go hundred percent on your plan A. So yeah. <clears throat> that's, those are the six core values. And, you know, if you, I ask, I usually just go through all six of these with my reps. If they're having a bad day, you know, they're lacking on one of these six core values and it's like, okay, yeah, maybe I'm not super committed today. Maybe I'm not being positive and elevating the team. Or, you know, maybe I haven't been training. Or maybe I haven't been super honest. And right. They can kind of self-manage and figure it out on I their own. I can't tell you how many uh, books I've read about success or incorporating culture. And they talk about how important it is to frequently talk about core values. And, yeah. uh, and well, and also like, you know, the mission statement and the, perp- and your, you know, your vision and and whatnot. Um, so it sounds like that's what you're doing to help maintain this culture and keep your guys moving in the right direction is, is bringing it up a lot. Yeah. And just reminding them like, Hey, if you know, these six things, I broke it down to four uh, components. My it's called my championship culture. Uh Um, the the first one is being a producer. Um, I'm, and my job as a manager is to help you learn how to sell and be the best sales rep there is to the best of my ability. The second one is mental toughness. Obviously you need good mental toughness for this job. The third one is the core values. And then the last one is financial literacy where you can make money, make money work for you and teaching, teaching reps, how, you know, real estate, you're, you're in real estate as well. Like taking that summer sales money, buying real estate rather than buying a, you know, brand new $40,000 car where you made 35,000 that summer. Right. So let's talk, let's talk about that transition. So obviously you you said four summers so far total, right? Um, and you are, have how many guys now? Yeah. So right now, currently going into 2022, um, we've got 94 signed uh, for wow. next season. That's and then, <clears throat> yeah, it should be good. Last year, um, I think we had close to 65, 70 uh, finish the summer. So we're on track to double what we did. We ended up doing a little over 5 million in sales uh, this summer and hope to double that next year. I'd love to do 10 million. Uh, that's awesome for this next year. So let's talk a little bit about too, like, so obviously you're making good money, you know, um, where are you parking all this money? You, you talked about yeah. being financially literate. So let's talk a little bit about what you've got going on there as far as, as, uh, as that goes. Yeah. I honestly didn't know what I was going to do with my money. My first year, I, I wanted to reinvest it in my detailing business and kind of grow that. But then I was just kind of, I was like, man, this is so much time and I'm not getting much return uh, on my investment. And it's so, I enjoyed it. That's why I did it. I loved cleaning cars. I love taking, you know, something that looks dirty or something old and making it look nice. Like feels good. And then I was like, well, 
I'm wasting more of my time and not getting the best for my return. And I still had money in the bank. And so I was like, I started talking to Chandler and Garrett, you know, these guys that I hang out with every day and they're, they're buying real estate. And again, I had no idea what that even looked like. My parents own, own a farm and that's pretty much all that they've owned. And they, I guess my mom owns an apartment that she inherited from her mom and dad. And so I knew a little bit about real estate, but not much. And then I was like, okay, I kind of want to get into real estate, but then it's a process. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and that's the biggest thing that I think, you know, everyone asks, like, how do I get started in real estate? And that's, I had a lot of questions and I didn't know where to get started. And simply, I was just like, well, what do I, like, what do I buy? What do I look for? And everyone's like, oh, you got a house hack. You got a house hack. You got to buy a duplex. You got to buy a fourplex. And I was like, okay, there's not much available here where I live. A lot of it's college housing that's, you know, has to be approved by the school. And so I just kept looking. I went another year. I had to get a two-year tax return. So I went and sold out, sold my second summer. And I bought my first property a year and a half ago because um, I had to wait for the two-year tax returns. I bought it right before my third summer. We bought a condo in Rexburg for 126, a uh, two-bedroom, one-bath. And Everyone at the everyone at the time said I was crazy. Like even Garrett Chandler, my parents. Like yeah, I'm sure that thing appreciated by quite a bit, didn't it? Yeah. So most of those are selling between two thirty and two forty right now. Yeah. How did you how did you buy that first property? So did you have enough cash stacked up that you went and paid cash for it, or did you have to do any type of financing? Or and I was out of the state, so I did a mobile notary, and I did a five percent conventional loan, so I only put five percent down, uh, keep some money in the bank. And then we technically we weren't supposed to rent it out, but we weren't living there. Um, I just had one of my buddies live in it for the summer. Um, he kind of he did construction, so he put in like our towel racks and just kind of you know got the place ready. And then we lived in it for eight months. And then yeah, it was a perfect little first starter property for me and my wife, and you know it's good did, enough size. Did it make you nervous buying a house like that as soon as COVID hit? Because I know COVID was kind of hitting right there around April or so, March, April. So were you were you pretty nervous about doing that? Yeah, I was more nervous because everyone told me not to do it. And it was a bad right. decision. Um, like, I don't know how many people said, like, don't do it. Don't do it. It's that's way too much. That's a lot of money. You know, if it, the real estate market crashes, how are you going to pay for it? You know, if you lose your job, X, Y, and Z. And John and I were literally just talking about this in my head. Yeah. John and I were just recently talking about this on another podcast um, about fear and how it <laughs> immobilizes us to take action. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, on that property. Um, so when you bought it, was it was it ready? I mean, was it turnkey or did you have to go in there and, you know, find a contractor and remodel it or anything like that? Yeah. So it was a brand new construction. Um, okay. my investing is kind of, my investing style is kind of different than a lot of my friends, um, which I like personally. Um, I like to be different than everybody. And so it was brand new, new construction. And so it was turnkey, got the keys. We weren't even there. We didn't even see the property until late August or September. Huh. Um, and then we moved in and, yeah. Then we just furnished it. We just had to pay for the furniture and everything. And then we got it all ready to Airbnb the following summer. So when we went out, we went, we went Airbnb it that year and it was nice. um, pretty lucrative. So we were pulling in about three or 4,000 a month off Airbnb. Ooh, that's, awesome. mortgage, that's a lot my, of money. <laughs> yeah. My mortgage was only six fifty, So wow. um, cash flowed a lot higher than local rents. Yeah. That's awesome. So are you still, do you still have that property and are you still Airbnb in it? Um, we, 
so it was kind of a funny story. I get a call midsummer and the general contractor, he's like, Hey, are you short-term leasing your condo? And I was like, yeah. He's like, you're not allowed to do that. It's not, it's in the CCNRs that you're not allowed to short-term. I was like, well, I paid for it. I own it. Like, what are you going to do? I was kind of upset because no one told me. <laughs> and he's like, well, I can't do anything. They didn't have an HOA set up or anything. And I was like, okay, we'll hold, hold a meeting. I'll be the HOA president and I'll write an addendum. And <laughs> <laughs> I'll write the CCNR. He thought it was pretty funny and they still haven't held an HOA meeting, but you know, I wanted to be honest. We finished, I was like, I'm just going to finish out the summer because we have bookings until the end of, you know, mid September. I'm not going to cancel on these guys. And so September I transitioned to a long-term rental. We just got people in there paying 1350 a month, wow. uh, a 24 month lease. That's awesome. That thing's been a little cash cow for you then. Yeah, it's been one of my be better investments. Th that's sick. So how many, let's, so you, you got the condo. Um, how many uh, properties do you currently have? And uh, what are your numbers looking like? Yeah, so that, after that first, or that third summer. We're starting to become um, a real estate podcast. Mm -hmm. almost. <laughs> <laughs> right, honestly, um, this third summer, after the third summer, we bought a duplex in Idaho Falls. Um, we got a good deal on that. I mean, real estate was starting to appreciate pretty good. So I, we got it for 198 and then we didn't buy anything until recently um, just because the market was so hot. It was hard to buy anything. Mm -hmm. And at that point, my cash was kind of, you know, I was just didn't really know what I wanted to buy. I wanted yeah. a fourplex. I wanted something bigger. So I waited about six, eight months. Nothing really popped up on the market worth buying just because prices were so high. And then I was like, okay, whatever hits the market within a 300 price range, I'm just going to buy it. Like, I don't even care what it is. I'm just going to buy it because I have, like, I need to get rid of some cash. Uh -huh. And then one Friday I was driving, I get a notification. I'm on like five or six realtors uh, email list. So they okay. send me multifamily listings. Mm -hmm. And right when one hit, it was a tri it was a duplex, but it showed three units. And so I was like, interesting. And gross rents were 2,400. And I was like, I'm sending that 300,000. Just quick math. I was like, I'll cash flow. Put an offer, called my real estate agent, had an offer in with under five minutes. They didn't want to accept it. because like, oh, we just listed it. So I was like, okay, I'll do a full price offer. Just give it to me. If we do a full price offer, everything will you sign today? And did you, did you do a cash offer? No, um, we just did 25% down. Okay. And we did we did a full price offer, five thousand over asking price, but I mm -hmm. asked for five thousand back in closing costs. Gotcha. And that's one thing I've done with all my properties. I try not to ever pay closing costs. I usually have the seller try and pay the closing costs, and then or I incorporate them in my loan, so I don't ever have to come out of pocket for those closing costs. Right. And so got under it for technically two ninety eight, and yeah, it's gross renting twenty four fifty. And it got appraised as a triplex, which is kind of complicated, but it brought that appraisal up to 325000 So when we closed, our monthly payment dropped about 200 bucks a month, and then our interest rate dropped as well. So so have you found any other properties like off-market deals, or are you finding all of them on the market? Um, I've looked at a lot of off-market deals. It's actually crazy right now. There's so many um multifamily investors in idaho falls that off-market deals are usually hotter than on-market deals really that really sense. that's weird mm -hmm. opposite here yeah it's, op it's opposite here the off-market deals are 
the ones that you're not having as much competition with. Yeah, it's everyone's looking off market right now because the market's so hot. So mm-hmm. I usually just try and find something that's either brand new. Um, I guess we were under construction last February on a townhome. Uh, it was a brand new construction and we were going to move into that originally. Uh-huh. We got under contract on that in February and it was supposed to be done in August and they still haven't finished it just because of COVID and back orders. So we close on that next month. So uh, have you kept everything that you've bought so far? Have you done any flips? Uh, I haven't done any flips. I've kept everything. Um, we bought a brand new home in Idaho Falls in September because we don't have a place to live. We were going to move into the townhome, but it was too long and I didn't want to rent anywhere and I didn't want to buy like the market right now like you either buy same with cars you know you either buy a used car for a new price or you buy a new car for a better price price of a home (laughs) exactly so we just bought a new home and then we're living in that and we've just kept everything I don't think I'll sell anything soon Um, I might sell this town home and 1031 it if there's a good fourplex on the market because we got under contract at 239 and most of them are selling right now for around 300. What's um, kind of haven't even closed yet. What's kind of your criteria for um, determining whether you're going to pull the trigger on an investment property? Are you mainly looking at cash flow? Are you looking at the long game with appreciation or what are you looking at? I think it depends on obviously per property, but to me a good investment is anything that you can cover your mortgage and it's going to appreciate. Um, cash flow is just a cherry on top just because the way the market's going right now. We don't really know exactly what's going to happen. I think it's going to continue to go up, but a safe investment to me is if you can buy it and the rents cover the mortgage and your expenses and it appreciates, you know, you're golden. And then if you, you know, can bring home a couple hundred bucks, great. Um, but it's really hard to find a high cash flowing deal over, you know, 500,000, a million dollars. You have to be looking at bigger deals to get some good cash flow right now. So how many uh, doors do you have total right now? Um, so I, we closed on that triplex yesterday. And so that brought us to seven doors and we'll be at eight doors by the end of the year with the townhome. How do you feel like sales has played a factor into your life? Do you feel like it's helped you with real estate investing and, and life in general? Or how crucial has learning uh, sales been for you? Embarked on the path to success, which you know clearly you are and you're heading in an awesome direction. Um, so it's awesome to have you on. What what does the future hold for Mark Wilmore? Um, that's a good question. I used to I used to set really high goals and expectations. I did last year, and this year, honestly, my goal is to show up every day and work hard. Like that's it. I'm not putting a number on anything. I'm not putting an income income goal on anything. It's just show up and put in the work uh, this year. Because I know I know the money will follow. I know mm-hmm. things will follow. But I really like the books I'm reading right now is The Power of Habits by Charles Duhigg and Atomic Habits is really good. And then I listen to the Ed Milad podcast and all they talk about is habits. It's like, show me your calendar and I'll show you where you're going. Show me your schedule and I'll show you what, you know, where you're going to be. And so I've just worked on the simple, you know, one day at a time uh, kind of mindset. Because sometimes I get, I feel like I'm super optimistic to where it becomes Oh, maybe a, an illusionist mindset is a good way to put it. Sometimes it's like, oh, I want this, I want that. Um, and it's so, it's it's a big goal, but it's like, I'm never going to get there unless I put in the work today. So I've just said, everyone's asked me, what's your goals? I was like, I'm just going to show up and work hard. Hopefully I'll get lucky. 
<laughs> I like that. What what uh what habits, daily habits have you incorporated in your life that you feel like are providing the most value to you? Um recently my wife has got me into F45 uh to work out a group. Uh mm-hmm. she started it this summer and she really enjoyed it. And I was hesitant honestly to start because it's it's expensive. It's like 150 bucks a month and I'm like, "Oof, that's 300 bucks a month for two of us." Like that's you know, and I'm like, $3,600 a year just yeah. for a workout. And I was like, no, I need to invest in myself. Like I'm not going to, I usually go to the gym with my friends or, you know, the people I work with and I'm on my phone, I'm texting, I'm on calls and I don't get a good workout. And like, I hardly even sweat. So I wasted an hour, hour and a half at the gym. So I was like, no, I'm going to pay. I'm going to show up 45 minutes, bust my butt, you know, hyper-focus. And then the last two weeks I've tried to cut sugar out of my diet. Um, I drink, I drink a lot of like energy drinks and sugars. I was, you know, high, um, I guess intake on, you know, soda and stuff. So Uh I've just tried to cut the sugar and all that stuff out of my diet. And then obviously bread and gluten, I try and keep to a minimum. And that's just helped my mind like completely like the cloudiness, the fuzziness, like, you know, the long, slow afternoons aren't there anymore because, you know, I've already put in the work. So those have definitely helped. Um, And then on my off time, just trying to increase my knowledge on real estate, sales, leadership um, through podcasts, books, and then, you know, talking and working with people that I like every day that are doing big stuff. That's awesome. Do you have any like morning routines or rituals that you follow at all by any chance? I don't um some people have like a really strict schedule I do things based off my happiness if I don't want to do it I won't do it like if it doesn't you know make me happy or if it doesn't push me to who I want to become I've gotten better at telling people no and you know people around me know and it's really helped kind of focus in that vision but if I wake up in the morning and I don't feel good like, you know, that David Goggins mentality is like, no effing excuses, just get it done, do it. Um, I, I do like, like him, though. <laughs> yeah, it's super great. It just doesn't resonate with me. That's just on my yeah. personality. It's like, well, I'm just going to sleep an extra 30 minutes because that's going to make me happier. And then I'll go to the gym at seven instead of six. Mm. And then, yeah, I'm going to drink some caffeine because that's going to, you know, spike my energy. I'm going to drink some pre-workout because that's going to make me happier and I'm going to work harder and I'm going to be more productive rather than just being miserable. And it's not sustainable to me. Like I try and do stuff that's sustainable rather than, you know, high intensity um, rather than low consistency. So you obviously are in the door to door world with pest control and uh, you know, I own a pest control business. Exactly. I have been so hesitant and um, almost standoffish to door to door sales with my own company because at first, it was hard for me because I see all these little companies blowing up super fast because they're adding on so many accounts super fast because they got guys knocking. And at first, I was uh, comparing myself too much. And I started thinking, well, these guys, first of all, door to door salesmen are freaking expensive. So not only is it going to cost a lot, but I didn't want to grow this. This might sound counterintuitive, but I didn't want to grow too fast to where I couldn't sub- uh, sustain it. So there was no. Uh, links and you know weak links in my in my systems and so we've been just gradually uh growing um but it kind of sounds like what your 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 philosophy is is not so high intensity but just nice slow and steady and cons- and consistent um which is what we've done so far so uh tortoise in the hair right yeah, slow and steady wins pretty cool story you got i think you're gonna blow it up where it's like where do you see yourself at 
in the next five years? Um, honestly, I'd love to be roughly worth about 10 million or have 10 million in real estate. I think I can grow that quicker now that I have a, you know, base portfolio. Yeah. I can start pulling equity, bigger deals. Um, obviously my income is growing every year. And so just, you know, being smart with that and investing it. In the next five years, I would like to, you know, be making a million in cash per year. I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, And then, and that includes, you know, passive income, active income as well. But I'd also like to be five years, I guess I'll be, I'm 24, I'll be 29. I think that's going to be my transitioning phase um, into becoming a coach and a mentor. And that's where I want to, you know, spend the rest of my life. And and when you say coaching a mentor, are you are you focusing on just like financial literacy, or are you talking about sales or both? Or um, it's actually kind of funny. I actually want to be a seminary teacher, and I want to coach high school soccer That's eventually. Sweet, dude. But I want to be good at it. Like I don't want to be a scrub of a coach. Like I want to run championship teams and yeah. have a good culture and help those guys. But I don't want to be on a you know a soccer coach and a seminary teacher's salary. I want to be making a cool million a year on you know sales and real estate giving me the time to be that coach be that yeah, mentor that's sweet i uh i did a seminary teacher for a year and i loved it man it's a lot of fun um uh, yeah, that's cool welcome to the final three yeah man so uh I know you'd mentioned a few books that you read, but what's the most recent book you've read and and what did it teach you? The most recent book that I've read, like start to finish, would be Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. It's actually my fourth time going through it. Um, (laughs) Honestly, it's entertaining to me. I love listening to Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) I've listened (laughs) to it. It's entertaining. Yeah, it's because of his voice. You know, he's theatrical. He it feels like you're living the experience with him um while he's going through his book and i've really enjoyed it because he always just he's real he's a real human and i you know he doesn't fluff anything and he always throws in good advice but he always asks like how you live in you know um just live your life you know be happy and you know find who you are and that stuff really resonates with me so that book i highly recommend it the biggest thing i take away is you know there's going to be green lights there's going to be yellow lights there's going to be red lights there's going to be stuff that stops you pushes you you know tests you and hopefully you try and catch as many green lights as you can what is one principle you strive to live your life by honestly lately i think you know having a good work ethic and having a good attitude um, that's the biggest thing that brings success in my opinion you can't be successful one without the other like right. nobody wants to be with a workhorse that has a horrible attitude. Like it's, they're not fun to work with. It's just miserable. Um, and then, you know, somebody who has a really good attitude, but doesn't work, <laughs> you know, that super optimistic and, but doesn't do anything. Like they have really high goals, but you know, you break it down and they're not really doing anything to reach those goals. So there's one of my favorite quotes. It says vision without effort is daydreaming. And then vision or effort without vision is drudgery, but vision with effort wins the prize. And so kind of just going based off of, you know, good attitude, good work ethic, having a good vision and putting in the effort. Final question. What is one of the greatest piece of advice you've been given? Mm, It's a tough question. Honestly, probably from my dad. Um, And it kind of 
translates into a lot of life. And he always says, fix it up, wear it out or do without. Uh, every time I wanted something new, every time I, you know, he's like, well, like if I wanted new soccer cleats, he's like, what's wrong with your old ones? Or, you know, I wanted a new bike. He's like, what's wrong with your bike? I was like, oh, it's broken. He's like, well, you either fix it up, you wear it out or you do without or you won't have it. And that's kind of my mindset, like going into anything else. It's like you either make it work or you won't get it. And so just looking for those ways to make it better, um, focus on the positives, take out, take out the negatives and then just increase those positives to, you know, make it work for you awesome. rather than jumping, jumping ship. You know, it's so easy. You see people start so many, so many things this, this time of year, you know, they want to start a new trend, a new goal, and then it lasts, you know, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe a month. And then it just fizzles out. Yeah. That was just on that podcast we were listening to earlier. People get, get going on something. And as soon as it doesn't work out, they just give it up and act like it was never a thing. Low tolerance. So Mark, where can people find out more about you? And and maybe specifically we can put in a plug where if, if they want to know how to make six figures uh, doing summer sales and learn from the best, uh, they can hit you up through that way. Yeah, um, I'm pretty active on Instagram, social media. Um, I think my username is Mark underscore Wilmore. Uh, it's just a picture of me and my wife and my dog. And just have a little description there. Or they can reach out to me on Facebook. Thank you for listening to the Growth Circle Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, connect with Jake and John on Instagram at Jake Engledew and at John underscore the underscore builder. Until next time.